like when you buy coffee in the store though like they don't get they don't get into varietal notes in the no. store they're like is it dark medium this is medium roast it's robust <laughs> is it robust is it or is it like robust or, the beans or did like you just burn it <laughs> did you just burn yeah robust means burnt if you ever see a bag of coffee that says robust it means burnt so Welcome back to this week's episode. We are um, we are excited because we we've kind of still been coming off of last week's episode where we looked at thrifting and music, um, and that's been a really fun kind of um, conversation we've had throughout the week. I think of just like, man, could you imagine trying to find uh, different things? And in fact, Travis and I were in Paul's office yesterday, and I saw a tape recorder on his desk. I was like, Travis, there's one of them five thousand dollar tape recorders. <laughs> It was not. Um, but did we know that? Did you look? <laughs> did you look it up? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> but um, I should send a picture to Raleigh. Hey, hey, dude, how much you it? give me? If I steal this off my pastor desk, how much you give me for it? <laughs> um, but it, have you done? Like, have you gone out to any garage sales or anything? Like, since that conversation, I've been like, ooh, I'm gonna go see if I can find a treasure. No, but I did give Raleigh a pair of boots that like didn't fit quite right and they kind of hurt my feet and I was like hey can you go flip these for me and he's like sure <laughs> <laughs> I should have given him some stuff man I got some guitars and things I don't need anymore hey make a make a dollar or two off of that give me a dollar or two we'll be happy yep but that's what consign. I don't know if he does consignment that'd be no, he does that does he he's got a fee but hey that's all right like I don't have Facebook so I can't do Facebook marketplace or anything I mean I could try eBay but it's just like it's way easier for me to just hand these to you and you know, whatever your cut is, take it. And I'll he's, he's take got a the bigger, cash. Even if he does Facebook marketplace, he's got, you know, Arlington. So it's a little bit bigger area, but I almost went, I almost went to Goodwill in women's thrift yesterday. Just to see if I can find just a treasure. See. Yeah. But my treasures look different. Like when I go to the thrift store, I'm trying to find like really old hot air popcorn poppers because I love making those into coffee roasters, but that's where my treasures differ. Yeah. I'm not like a actual <laughs> minimalist. Right. But I don't like a bunch of things. Like clutter annoys me quickly. So yeah. having a child has been a, a learning curve because it's like, <laughs> why are there toys everywhere all the time? I just picked this up. How are there already more out? Yeah. Well, add add more children to it. And then your life becomes more of a nightmare than it does. Like, but yeah. We, so the idea of like going to a thrift store and like just coming home with a bunch of stuff, like maybe I can sell this. Like that sounds, you know, I'm glad Raleigh does it and it's fun to watch, but I, I don't think I'd ever get into it. Speaking of kids and clutter Friday, our house was completely clean Friday, like floors mopped, the carpet vacuumed, counters wiped, everything. All the dishes were clean. Like, man, we were looking like we were all stars. And, uh, literally Sunday I come home from church and I've been around my kids all day Saturday. We tried to pick up, but Sunday I come home and I'm like, there are, there is like rice in the floor. There is crushed crackers all over the place. Um, I don't know what I stepped on in the kitchen, but it was icky on my foot. You know, <laughs> I was like, it didn't even take you guys 48 hours and you destroyed this place. And they just laugh. I mean, they don't care. You know who Joshua Becker is? Mm -hmm. It's like a Christian minimalist. Yeah. You know, that's how he like got started in minimalism was because he like spent a whole day cleaning his garage and his son wanted to play baseball or something like that. So he's just like, all of the stuff is taking away from the thing I would rather be doing. So he just 
got rid of everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, he actually, so he wrote that book, The Minimalist Home. And if you're interested in that, I, I do recommend that book. He's got like kind of more one on just minimalism, like how to do it in your life. The home one is more specific to how to minimalize and declutter your home. And he goes into detail on it. I mean, he tells him, you know, minimalism is not having like one couch and then like a rug and, you know, minimalism is no only couch, needing, no rug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only, only, only having what you need to survive. Uh, and if that looks like, you know, this, that's fine. But just making sure that your stuff doesn't get in the way. But actually the funny thing is he tells you the last thing that you need to minimize, minimize and clean is your garage. Really? So he started Even with his garage. <laughs> yeah. So in his home, he started with his garage, but he says the last thing that you need to do is your garage. Why does he say that? Uh, he says do gathering spaces first. So like places where people are going to congregate. So like yeah. your living room, like your kitchen and things like that. Like get those areas where you're going to be spending most of your time. Then concentrate on bedrooms. Then concentrate on like areas that aren't like visited regularly, but are still important. And then like, I think he does garage and backyard like kind of at the same time. So, um, but it's really good. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed his book. Um, I've, I've, I rent it from the library when it's available. <laughs> and then I also have it on audiobook. So, uh, depending on what mood I'm in, but yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we have been going back and forth on what to even talk about this week. Um, we, between Travis and I both, we've been, we've had, uh, kiddos that just haven't been feeling well and we've been trying to keep them healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, and the only thing that we've done so far is keep them wise. And so, <laughs> um, so brains are kind of fried, but we had a good fish fry Sunday. So things were good there. And then we kind of came in, uh, at the end of Sunday into Monday with just a lot of fun stuff, uh, on our plates and a lot of different things that we were having to pick up. But, uh, one of the things that kind of came out over the weekend um, and has kind of uh, continued to permeate into the week, I don't know how much traction it's going to get. I don't know how much pull it's going to get in mainstream media. Um, but a lot of it was this um, report that's come out with SBC and Southern Baptist Convention and a lot of uh, cover-up and scandal that's been going on there. And, uh, it, it's kind of a hard topic to approach because I know that we've got pastor friends on both sides of the fence when it comes to this. Um, and we're no experts on everything going on. We've read a couple articles that are written by different people. And I mean, the actual report was like what, 300 pages almost. It, so it's like, we haven't had time to actually read the whole thing ourselves. Yeah. I like, think we both skimmed a few pages. Yeah. We've skimmed. read articles about <laughs> the report. Yeah, we skimmed through the timeline a little bit and kind of seen some things going on. And but yeah, like I printed it the other day because I'm, I'm. You're one of those like you can read a PDF and be like, sweet, like I got all the info I need. I'm one of those. I'm like, I gotta have a piece of paper. Like that print is way too small <laughs> to have something bigger. Um, but it is. It's kind of a report that's interesting. Um, it does provide a little more clarity, I think, on some things than what you do get in the media. But also, it does affirm some of the things that you do see uh, in the media. And so, um, let's back up just a little bit. Yeah, for the people who have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, what is what are we talking about? Yeah. So, you know, years back, um, well, really for a lot of years, um, churches in general, um, and especially big mainline denominational churches, have been uh, dealing with sex abuse scandals uh, and things like that. 
between lady uh, or officers of the church or ministers of the church that have uh, been caught in inappropriate relationships within the church that um, that a lot of times just weren't known about. Um, this is something I think too that has happened in not just churches, but I think just in culture in general. Um, it's not uncommon for these things to happen even within like organizations or big companies. And then you have these massive um, trainings, overhauls, and usually there's a payout somewhere in there. Um, but in church life, you know, that that's one of those things where people feel protected in that space. They feel like they should be safe. And every now and then you just have evil that creeps in and takes advantage of that. And um, so what's been happening over the years is these things have, have secretly been going on in a, a multitude of churches throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as many other churches. I don't want to say just Southern Baptist Convention, but uh, in many denominations. Um, but now, because Southern Baptists are one of the largest mainline Protestant denominations, we are a little bit <coughs> under a bigger microscope. So when any sort of abuse like this pops up and happens, it's going to catch attention because um, that's kind of the desire of mainstream media is to point out and say, you know, see, you're not protected. You're not being taken care of. So years ago we had reports coming out of uh, sex abuse scandals that were taking place and cover-ups that were taking place, uh, especially coming out of uh, the report. I think it was what, two years ago, two or three years ago from the Houston Chronicle um, where they did kind of a three part series um, discussing a lot of this that was going on within their area and it was really bad stuff. On top of that, we're also seeing where Discovery has come out with the Hillsong documentary, um, where a lot of um, cover-up and abuse was being um, exposed. And then, <clears throat> on top of that, we're coming off of even the, the Mars Hill podcast, <clears throat> where a lot of that, um, maybe a different type of abuse, that one's more of like a verbal and emotional abuse, of ministry and staff was kind of happening. But, you know, even still there were elements in there of, and I don't think they ever talked about it through the podcast of even like sexual abuse and things like that had been taking place. And so you have this kind of a, a narrative that's been brewing for some time, I think. And when the Houston Chronicle stuff hit, a lot of Southern Baptist pastors became real concerned and wanted to form a committee that, could explore a lot of the allegations and a lot of the things that were happening. This got approved. And so the executive committee was able to form, uh, and I don't know if it, um, I may get some of my, my details on that wrong. Um, but there was a committee that was formed that their whole goal was to, um, investigate and also hire a company to do independent investigation. So this company guidepost, uh, was hired to come in and do an independent investigation over the past, golly, I guess year. Uh, over some of the allegations that have been made, not just over the past year, but since like the 2000s. So they've, they've got about a 20-year timeline that they're looking at. Um, and on the 15th of May, they released that report. And well, they, they released the report to the, um, the committee that was appointed. And then that committee had a, a week to review that before it was released publicly. So this is a public document. It's not like, I mean, it doesn't take much to find it. You can usually on an article find the report there and then you can download a full PDF version with appendix and everything. 
Um, and it shows emails, it shows, uh, interviews of victims. It shows all of these things, uh, in the report. There are certain things that they do go over when it comes to like Southern Baptist polity and the way that we govern and things like that. Um, but I think at the root of it, we're finding that there has been evidence of, uh, abuse and cover up, um, within the local churches of the SBC, um, as well as uh, kind of a mishandling of information from the top tier people of the SBC over a, a period of time. And that's not to say like every single SBC church. Right. But there has been a number of these cases where in some form or fashion there's been some abuse, some cover up, and kind of coast to coast there's been various allegations that have all been hidden in one way or another. Yeah. And that's really the thing of it too. Like it's the, um, it's the sinfulness of man that I think still creeps in. Even when people are in ministry, I think that, um, people assume that because you're a minister, like you're immune to sin. And I think ministers have a, a, a even tougher time with it because they, um, they are, they are dealing with so many, uh, varieties of emotions every week, not only their own, but also the emotions of their people. Um, and, and it can become really challenging. And so as ministers, we have to put up certain boundaries and safeguards to keep ourselves from, um, falling temptation to sin. And we're not talking about just sexual sin, but just like sin in general. Like we, we are always having to look at, okay, you know, where, let, let me do my anger check today. You know, uh, let me do my envy check. I think that's a big one, especially among ministers that, we well, get, there's this expectation <laughs> where it's like if you're a minister, you're supposed to, you know, maybe be more like Christ than other Christians. You know, I wouldn't yeah. think I wouldn't say that that's actually true, but I think there's a there's a group of the population that thinks that way. It's like, oh yeah, these people, and you know, hopefully, if you're the one studying and teaching God's word, like maybe you are more mature in your faith, but that also doesn't mean that you're immune to sin. And like you were saying, you can easily you know, build up walls around yourself to put on this persona. And then it's usually there where sin likes to creep in yeah. where you don't actually have people who know what's going on in your life. And that's kind of what, um, in, in some of this too, when I began to read a lot of the timelines of this report and, and even some of the articles, the names that they are mentioning are usually the names of people that have very prominent positions of power. Um, and, and I say power, I don't use that term to be like, oh, they're like a big wig, but they are a part of a, of a greater hierarchy. I think that exists within Southern Baptist convention. And, uh, you know, if you talk to me and Travis long enough, you'll find that we love, we love the doctrine of the SBC. We love the, um, the affiliation or the association with a denomination that agrees and believes with what we believe in. But when it comes to, and, and I'll speak for me, I won't speak for Travis. Um, <laughs> I'll let you do that on your own here in a minute. Um, but when it comes to me, um, there are certain things that even I disagree with uh, within our own convention. And I feel like there are times where um, un unless you uh, put up these numbers on a Sunday morning or unless you put up these financial numbers in cooperative program dollars and gifts, um, unless you do certain things, that there are some times where you just kind of get overlooked because there's just not a people, there's just not enough 
resources and people in state and national conventions to go around to hit every single church. The denomination has become so big that it's, and I kind of want to say it's gotten so big, it's kind of gotten out of hand. Um, And so, but just like any other big organization, big organizations go through these, these leadership struggles. And I think what I personally see is that, especially in our area, there are some smaller churches in our area that, that could thrive and do well, but they just don't get, um, they just don't get the attention that they need and the resources that they need. And they may not know how to do that. So I, I have my own kind of, and I could go a little bit more deeper into it. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to offend anyone that could possibly be listening and go, Oh my gosh, Charles hates him. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. And if you, if you say that I've said that, then you're a liar. But, um, to me, it's more of a, there's gotta be a better way for us to divide and conquer. Um, especially to help churches out. And then I think that there's some, to me, I also see that there's some wastefulness and some spending and things like that, that I think that we could better use to support mission work and also support continual church growth, especially in more rural areas where churches are just kind of obsolete. Um, but I think the hard part for me is, excuse me, <laughs> um, I've not been feeling awesome in this past couple of weeks, but I'm better. But the um, the way that the SBC has responded to a lot of things, I think, has been a huge bother to me. Um, and I'll—I mean, I feel like just like any organ, again, like any organization, keeping the brand positive is more important than saying, "Yeah, we screwed up." Um, and I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna step back and say in these reports and these articles that the SBC didn't do anything wrong. I obviously think that there were some some individuals and some people that didn't handle some of these allegations very well. And because they didn't handle them well, uh, people got hurt. There are guys that are doing these things that were still in positions of ministry. Um, so I do think, and, and I, I told a friend this that was texting me about it the other day. I said, I really think what needs to happen is our convention needs to go through a serious overhaul. Um, we need to go through a very serious overhaul um, um, starting with prayer and, and asking the Lord to forgive us asking even, I think even asking like our churches, you know, the, our, the churches that are a part of the convention that disagree with this, uh, some of these things seeking forgiveness from them. And I think also, and it sounds terrible, but even saying to our country, it's like, man, we, we dropped the ball and we're sorry. Like mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to work hard to make sure we don't do that again. we want to be a viable thing for you. And, um, but that's a humbling place you have to be in and to try to get an entire massive organization on board to say, man, we're sorry. That's hard to do. So I don't well, know. What, I think what are your thoughts? I think they've already issued some sort of apology, but like, but it's going to be like a generic apology. It, it is. And it's okay. Let me back up a little bit. Cause you said a lot there. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. I just, I've got a ton of thoughts. <laughs> and I don't know if I've got them all straight in my head yet, but um, it's hard on one level because it's like when you're talking about the SBC and this is where they kind of shift some of the blame, which I'm not trying to shift blame, but it's hard because unlike, say, our Methodist friends that have like a very 
rigid structure with a hierarchy that's, you know, like there's bishops who control which pastors or which churches and like there's just more structure, more hierarchy that's all controlled and known. Like we do have autonomous churches. And so like we were talking earlier off air about, you know, sometimes churches will hire a new pastor or new staff of some sort. And it's like, they have no idea what this guy's done. Yeah. And so it's like, even if you ran a background check, if a previous church had like paid hush money Mm -hmm. so that this guy didn't get arrested. Yeah. Well, it's like the new church has no idea. And so that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make that guy's sin. Okay. Like, I'm not trying to say anything like that, but there is just, there's less known within the hierarchy of the SBC because of how autonomous every church is. Now I, I believe in church autonomy, but you know, we were saying like, there should be a list of like, you do not want to hire this person for this reason. Um, and that could be a whole bunch of things. It doesn't have to just be like a sex abuse scandal, but, um, somebody who mishandles money or whatever. Yeah. But like you were saying, there's so many things that are good about the SBC namely missions mm-hmm. like if someone wants to be a missionary and gets hired by the IMB they don't have to raise a dime of their money yeah. they get sent to whatever country they're going to they get language school provided for them and then they just get to church plant and I think that's wonderful I have friends in other denominations who it's like if they want to be a missionary it's like great but you got to raise your salary Yeah. and if they want to go church plant somewhere like London or Paris or like an expensive city it's like that's really hard to do so when it comes to the SBC funding missions, I love it. Yeah. And then even within our own backyard, we have NAM, the North American Mission Board. And so there's church planning efforts in cities that are less churched. I think that's great. Um, but I think Russell Moore pointed this out in his article about the whole thing where it's like we prop up missions and how good the SBC does at this. And then we kind of turn a blind eye to some of these other things that are going on. And it's like, Hey, if this gets exposed, it's going to hurt our missions. Yeah. And you can't do that. Yeah. Like you can't just be like, Hey, we're going to cover all this sin and evil up because we don't want to have less missionaries. Yeah. And what's hard, um, like you said, when it comes to issues of doctrine, we're a hundred percent on board with what Southern Baptists believe. Yeah. Like we we're convinced of the, you know, basic doctrines that we hold to. What's hard is because of this, and it's it's especially difficult because I remember this would have been like three or four years ago, there was more issues coming out with the Catholic scandals. Mm-hmm. And the SPC was just over there finger wagging, like pointing stuff out online, like how could the Catholic Church let this happen? And then now it's like, oh, we were literally doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the same thing. Covering it up yeah, in hundreds of cases, you know, not maybe as much of a hierarchy like I said earlier, but yeah. it was happening in a lot of SBC churches and it was being covered up by a lot of SBC churches. And then the executive committee was helping cover up a lot of these things that had happened. Yeah. And that, yeah. And just one more thing. Yeah. Go. <laughs> what real, what real makes this so... What makes us so difficult, especially as the youth minister on staff here, Mm -hmm. is like part of how I see things is looking at the next generation 
And we know from all sorts of like Barna and Gallup studies that younger people don't like big structures when it comes to, well, anything. They don't like big government. They don't like um, massive organized religion. Like the fastest growing churches in America are all non-denominational. Yeah. Because they don't want to be associated with anything bigger than that one local church. So it's hard when we talk about like how do like when we in a staff meeting talk about like reaching younger people in our community, it's hard because if, if statistics are true and I believe that most of them are, um, if we dropped being part of the SBC and we became a non-denominational Bible church, I guarantee we'd have people come just because we weren't part of the SBC. Yeah. And I know younger, uh, I mean, older people are going to hear that. are going to be like, no, it's great to be a Southern Baptist. Like look at our doctrine, look at our missions. And it's like, I agree with that. Yeah. But I also know at the same time, younger people are skeptical of hierarchies. They're skeptical of these like big religious organizations. And if you just went non-denom, younger people would come. Yeah. With no other changes. I mean, we wouldn't have to change anything in our building, anything in our preaching, anything in our worship. Like, everything could say the same. And if we just said, oh, we're non-denominational now, younger people would come here. Yeah. You know, I've thought about that a lot, too. And um, and I'm not saying I want that. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It, but I think that it's true. But it's because of this. So even though the the issues that we're seeing come out in this report aren't something that are a part of Calvary Baptist Church, because we are SBC, we have now been roped into that umbrella of we are Southern Baptist Church. So you now uh, have this and this and this going on in your church. And that, that's not the case. But the perception of the public is that because we're Southern Baptist, that's like who we are. Like because you're a minister of a Southern Baptist Church, well, you're automatically like a pedophile. Like you don't you don't get that option anymore. Um, and I think that's the hard part for us as ministers. We now have to look at our occupation um, and say, okay, how, how do we reverse, you know, that stigma? How do we take that perception and we change it? And that's the hard piece. And you talked about that, what we've seen happen. And I, I won't say in just Southern Baptist churches in churches in general, we take these allegations, we cover them up and we go, but because if we don't cover them up, then the work that we're doing over here is going to look tainted and bad. So we have to cover this up so that the work continues to move forward and does great. The problem is, is you're now building the work off of a sinful foundation and that's not good. That's not healthy. Um, you, you've got this disease and the sickness that has crept into even the very work. And what does scripture tell us? Scripture tells us sin will come to light. Darkness will eventually come to light. You can't keep it hidden. And what's happened now within SBC life is the darkness that's been there that has existed for uh, over 20 years, even more honestly, uh, is now coming to light. And SBC leaders are in a frantic position of trying to say, well, what do we do? Like, how do we handle this? Because there are churches that have been associated with the SBC that are now dropping out like a lot. Yeah. So now there's going to be financial pressure on things like the IMB. And then now there's going to be less missionaries. And so it's like you were trying to prop up this mission work, supposedly. Mm -hmm. But like you're saying, the sin came to light. And now, you know, the thing that you were trying to save is going to end up hurt anyways. And even worse, because... There's this, you know, bad name associated, especially among younger people with the SBC. I mean, I was reading all of these comments from various articles that were talking about this, and 99% of them 
were, I'm so glad I left the SBC. Like, I'm so glad our church left the SBC. Yeah. I would never associate with the Southern Baptist anymore. I mean, I read hundreds of comments like that. And now, granted, it's a big world. There's lots of people reading this. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important, especially for, you know, people, we'll say 50 plus, who may not be as engaged online or with younger people, that it's like, if you wonder why young people come to church less frequently or don't want to be associated with the SBC, it's like, well, this is a big part of that. Yeah. And I think that's something I want to tap into in a minute um, because I think that there's some correlation there between what we're seeing culturally right now uh, and the way that people view not just church, not just SBC churches, but organized religion uh, in general. Um but I, I, I mean, I want it to be known we're we're not we're not bashing our convention so much as we are just wishing that there was some reform. I think that could take place out of this to to turn this ship around and actually uh, help it get back on the right path. And I I think that you're going to have other SBC leaders that are going to voice the same thing. Um, but I've noticed as I began to read a lot of these names that are being mentioned, um, some of the guys that we have held to high esteem for years, it's like, oh, the model that they have provided for church growth is fantastic, and we need to push that model and do these things. They've grown these mega, massive churches, and when they get put in a compromising position, I remember one of them, and you can read it in the in the thing, so I'm not really um, doing anything, sidestepping it, but... Uh, Johnny Hunt, pastor of Woodstock in Georgia, um, was uh, accused of uh, assaulting, sexually assaulting one of his pastor's wives in 2010. And when questioned about it, his response was, I'm sorry. In other words, in paraphrasing, I'm sorry I touched her, but at least I didn't consummate the relationship. I'm like, are you seeing, and I I sat back as, as a man, as an, I mean, if somebody came up to my wife and did that, I'm going to beat you down. Like that's what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, you'd fire like, me if yeah, what would happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I you could fire me all day long, but somebody's going to the hospital. And and to me the the authority that some of these guys have and they they leverage that authority, they leverage that position to get by with some things. And we've talked about it. I've talked with a, a person at church about it not too recently. Um, you look at Jimmy Swagger. Everybody knows about the Jimmy Swagger scandal of everything that was going on. You look at Carl Luntz up at Hillsong Church and everything that was going on. You can now look at Brian Houston out of Hillsong Church and everything that was going on. Um, you can read the Houston Chronicle articles from like three or four years ago with Second Baptist Church in Houston and Ed Young and everything that was going on. And it when when people in these positions of power, they're trying to keep their organization together because there's millions upon millions upon millions of dollars that are flowing through these, these buildings that are flowing out of people's hands into these organizations. And that money train has got to keep going. If it comes to light that, Hey, wait a second, this is what's actually happening at that church. Guess what? That all dries up and everything that you've been working towards as a pastor. And that's why I find that especially in churches, we have to be really careful about trying to be too big. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge concern that me, especially as a, as a, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this and I don't want you to use it against me ever. An older millennial. Um, <laughs> I'm really, I don't feel like that, but I'm in the category. So, um, I, 
I find that a church like our size where we are is comfortable because I don't, I I mean, we want to grow. We do. But I think if we ever grew to a point where we said, Hey, let's build another building. I'm going to put a big pause on that and say, why, why can't we like plant another church? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? Why do we have to always build something bigger and better? Is it about the perception? Like, do we feel like we need to have that perception? Of, we have to look more successful. Yeah. I, I don't feel like churches need to be doing that. I don't feel like the goal of the church should be to look successful. I feel like the goal of the church should be the spreading of the gospel message of Jesus. And I think that's where we've lost part of our way. Yeah, absolutely. And that could be a whole other conversation. But one of the things that you said in that is like, we can feel comfortable with the church our size. And I think that's part of the problem is that a lot of people feel comfortable in their church. Like, oh, nothing could ever happen here. Yeah. And, you know, I think it should be stated like we do have certain policies in place when it comes to who works in the nursery and children's and youth. And like we use a thing called ministry safe to our own background checks. And so like, yeah, we have things in place. Um, if there's ever anything that we don't know about, like please tell us immediately. Yeah. Like we don't want to, you know, be here pretending like we got it all figured out and then there's something that we don't even know happening. So we don't want to be one of those churches. But I think the the comfort level thing is something that should be addressed. Um, I remember, you know, I think it was three or four years ago when all the Catholic stuff was coming up again. Um, there was <laughs> There was some priest who wrote an article in response and somehow they had basically figured out because there was kind of the stigma of like, oh, any priest is a creep. Yeah. And they basically said like, well, if you look at the number of priests that there are in the number of like things that have happened, it's only like 4% of the priesthood that's actually done something wrong when it comes to like sexual abuse. Right. And he said, not that this justifies it, but the number of, and I don't know where he got this from. I don't know if this is accurate, but if it's true, it's kind of scary. He said the number of people that are sexually attracted to children is 4% of the population. And so he was trying to say like, yes, this is bad. Yes, this is wrong. But like the number of people in our organization that are doing this is like the same number of people that would be, you know, working for any secular organization. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they just have more access to kids than a normal job. But um, if you think about that, if that's true, that is 4% and we've got, you know, around 300 people here on a Sunday morning. Yeah. That could mean that there's 12 people in our building every single Sunday morning that have that disposition towards children. Yeah. 12 every week. And so it's like, we can't be so comfortable. It's like, Oh, it's Nacogdoches. Yeah. It's Calvary Baptist church. Like nothing could happen here. Yeah. So, I think that's just something churches need to take into consideration. And you realize that every hundred people more you add to your service, it's like, well, there's at least statistically the possibility of four more people. And in former churches I've worked at, I've had some guys that um, attend our, that attended our church um, in, in just desperate need of Jesus. Like that's what they were there for, but they were neat dudes. And I would ask them and say, Hey, are you interested in serving in, in youth or anything like that? And they'd be like, you know, right now, unfortunately at this time, I just feel like that's not where God's calling me you go to do a check later and come to find out they're on a list, you know, so they can't. Um, and in fact, the, the church would even know about it. They would keep it really quiet, but, um, like I didn't know about, like I was, I was working in youth ministry 
And I was like, hey, this person can be really cool. Had I known from the beginning, like, hey, listen, just so you know, this person, this person, if you see them in the back, just make sure that they're, they're going back up front. I didn't know that. Like, I had no clue on that. So I think part of it is just a communication thing. And we talked about that uh, a little bit ago. Like, if there was a, and I've been a proponent of this for a while, if there was some sort of a registry of ministers for the SBC that could also have different allegations attached to it, that when we hired somebody, we could run again, like run a search against that and say, hey, we're looking to hire so-and-so. They've been at this church, this church, and this church. Um, is there anything that you know of from those churches that we need to be concerned about? Um, and we're talking like serious stuff, not like, well, he said mean words to me, and I don't like that. Um, but like serious things, if, the, if, if it found in there, it's like, yeah, he was accused of laundering, you know, $100,000 the church didn't want to press any charges. Uh, he settled with them and everything was, was fine with them. Well, I'm automatically going to go, man, that guy needs to, that guy needs to do some counseling or something. Like he needs to find something where he can, you know, it's not always the sex abuse scandal. I think that, that we're seeing, uh, if you know, this person had like a drinking problem and would show up to the office drunk as a minister. Okay. Well, I, I need to know that. Like the church should be able to report that. And so, but I feel like that's the hard part is the SBC is wanting to say, well, we're here, but you guys are autonomous. Like y'all do your own thing. And we're calling out to the SBC. It's like, hey, we're, we're needing your help on some stuff. You are working for these churches. The churches are hollering for this. Do something about it. And I think that's where the, the original idea of where it's not, um, where it's not top tier down we're supposed to be like churches voicing up. I think that gets, I think that's a neat concept, but that's not really how it's working. And I think that's where the reform needs to really happen. I think the churches need to be a bigger priority again. Um, and I think that SBC leaders need to be listening to not just the churches of a certain size and numerical value. I think they need to be listening to every church and um, really spending some time over the next two to three years trying to figure out who they want to be. Um, so, but going back to a little bit, we talked about the millennials, Gen Z, um, people that are, especially Gen Z, um, that are just kind of disenfranchised completely with large organizations. One of the things that we've been listening to and reading about, and this is kind of more cultural, I think, than it is like SBC related, is this idea of faith deconstruction. And I know Travis is like, I didn't know we were going to get into this. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> but it, but it jumps into, but it jumps into this idea because I think this is what's happening. And because of this SBC article, I think we're going to have a lot of other people going through this process. Um, I listened to a podcast just the other day where this was being talked about and it was, it was kind of like a rambling. It wasn't really like a, 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 man, this is fact information. Like this is good stuff. It was kind of like a rambling of people who like the rambling we're doing right now. Right. But like a rambling of this is what, uh, deconstructing your faith looks like uh, as an individual. But when I began to listen to the stories, you have guys that are, um, SBC kids, like their, their dads and were pastors, you know, and the kids are now grown up and they're going, I want nothing to do with that. And even still, my parents have disowned me. Like they won't even talk to me. And you got other people. It's like, yeah, I've got evangelical parents that I began to ask these tough questions about my faith and came to this conclusion. And now they don't even love me anymore. And I'm like, 
wow, like how is it that people get to a point where faith, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't the idea of God that bothered them. It was the church and what the church did and the trauma that they experienced and what the church stood for. And I've, I've run into people even here in Nacogdoches as I began to talk with them, they're like, well, it's hard for me to go back to church. And I'm like, well, well why? It's like, well, the church that my family wants me to go to is the same church where that pastor abused me for so many years. I just don't want to go back. That's hard. I mean, that's hard for people because what happens is a lot of times the families will stand by the abuser instead of the victim. And that's a very difficult position for a victim to be in. And I think that's what has got people deconstructing faith in a way. So let me, let me kind of give you a little bit of what that looks like. When we talk about the idea of deconstruction, deconstruction is the systemic uh, tear down of what you're, what you have been grown up in and what your belief system is from childhood on. Um, and this is something that is kind of a buzzword in culture right now, especially in uh, Christian culture, or I would even say post-Christian culture. Um, and so what they're doing is it's a, system, a systemic breakdown of people saying, this is what, um, this is what I grew up in. These are the questions I was not allowed to ask. And this is where I disagree. I personally, I think that, uh, I think people should have an open forum to be able to ask some tough questions and pastors should be able to give honest answers other than, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't ask that because, but just to kind of give them an, an, an outlet. But I find that if people can do that and do it constructively within the church, I think what you'll see is less of a deconstruction of faith and more of a restoration of faith. I think that's the part the church is missing out on. We're seeing people quickly walk away from the evangelical faith, evangelical church world altogether very rapidly. Yeah. They even call themselves ex-evangelicals. Yeah. Ex-evangelical. And, and, the problem is, is the church has kind of said, you can't think that, say that, or do that, so you're out. Instead of saying, let's answer those questions. Like, let's talk about that. Let's see if we can get you back to a position of faith where you feel comfortable, um, where you understand uh, a little bit more of what scripture teaches. I mean, most of these people, they're like, they still have a theistic approach. Like, they still believe in higher power. They're just unsure what that looks like. And a lot of them don't even call themselves Christians anymore. Some of them have, have said, I've gone from a Christian to agnostic to atheist to Jesus follower. So they don't even like to associate themselves as Christians. Like they find even the word Christian as an identifying, as an identifying marker is, is just quote unquote trigger. Um, I use that term very loosely because I think sometimes we have triggers that really aren't triggers. They're just, my feelings got hurt and I'm sad about that. Um, uh, for some people there are real trigger things. They usually have PTSD. Um, but well, and tying it back to the last com or the earlier conversation we were having, it's like some of those people legitimately do have PTSD and triggers from certain yeah. abuse scandals. And so it's like, I think that's a legitimate thing for some people to say. But yeah. it's something that I think a lot of people who don't understand or like don't know those experiences, they look at that and they're just like, oh, well, they're, they're just crazy young people. Yeah. And it's well, like, you're never going to reach 
someone who's lost and hurting, if your yeah. perspective of them is like, oh, well, they're just crazy and should, you know, they just need to believe. Well, and that's, I think that you and I get this question a lot uh, from our people here at our church is why are so many young people not coming back to our church? Why are so many young people not coming to church? We're essentially telling you that like right here um, between public sex abuse scandals and reports that are coming out between um, people just not feeling like they're an actual part of the church or allowed to ask questions or allowed. Yeah. Or allowed to, yeah. Voice their, their thoughts in a space where it should be able to be answered. I mean, that was something my old intern Isaac asked me. I was like, why does the church not do more with apologetics? And in his previous job, he worked for the BSM on campus and he said, so many of the students that he engaged with, it's like as soon as they found out he was with the Christian organization, they just kind of shut off. They're like, oh, well, I don't really believe if he pushed them. And they'd be like, well, why? And they'd, you know, they'd either talk about, you know, the problem of evil or, you know, multiple gods in science or uh, different beliefs around sexuality. And they just throw out some basic questions that our culture is kind of pushing back on in various ways. Yeah. And he said, if you could, you know, not in like a, um, you know, I like William Lane Craig, but not in just this like, oh, well, let me tell you as a philosopher why you're wrong. Yeah. But in a like, hey, have you ever thought about this perspective? Or maybe it's because God designed it like this. Or yeah. he said, if you can just push back with a little bit of gentle apologetics, it's like people open their mind really quickly. And so I think, you know, in a generation that is asking questions, it's like if we're not able to say like, hey, this is a safe place to ask questions and you know, maybe I have an answer and maybe I don't, but like I'll go read some books or read, yeah. read some articles, listen to some podcasts, like, and I'll try to have a honest yeah. conversation with you about whatever topic is preventing <laughs> you from wanting to be a part of the church. And I think that that is, that's one of the things that churches have to be more aware of. I mean, do we want to reach more young families and young people for, for, for the kingdom, not just for our own church growth and our own church kind of success? But because we care about their soul and salvation? <laughs> yeah, but because we actually care about where they're going? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's our desire, 100%. Whether we're associated with an SBC church or they're associated with a non-nom church or I- anything, the goal of us as ministers is to see the kingdom of God expand through people giving their life over to Jesus and submitting unto that lordship. Um, but I think that we have to step back and say, okay, what are some things that we have to adjust in our church to make that happen? Um, and, and I think that's the scary part because any times that you say the word adjust or change within like an established church, you, you're going to get called to question. <laughs> like, and be like, why should we change anything? You know, things have been great for 200 years. Why do we need to change anything? Um, but have they, <laughs> but have they? Yeah. And, and I get it. I mean, change can be a nervous thing. Change can be a, terrifying thing when you when you really look at it but change is what has propelled our country forward i mean um the pursuit of religious liberty uh is what helped prepare our con- pro- propel our country forward um the pursuit of political freedom has generally propelled our country forward now i'm not talking about just issues of morality like we can't say well well this issue of morality or this issue of morality has propelled our country forward now we can think like this it's like uh, issues of morality sometimes that anyway well i think people hear change in the church and they think of like the methodists or the episcopals or like whatever mainline denomination that's gone more liberal and it's like we're not talking about going more liberal but we're just talking about 
how is this generation different than the last and how do we meet them where they're at with the truth of the gospel sound doctrine and everything but like maybe this means home groups like we've hinted at a few times maybe that means you know having some sort of apologetics conference or something it's like for sfa students like hey come with your questions and we'll have some good speaker you know like just thinking sort of outside the box how do we engage with a culture that's different and that is quickly leaving the church well and that's i think that's really the bigger question is how does our nine to five look different like how does our how does our monday through friday how does our saturdays and sundays adjust so that we can better engage people um and it may be that the the changes are minor and small and you don't even really recognize them they're so insignificant but we have to we have to always be asking that question of you know as a church we're going to be we're going to be now bunched into this group we've got to be prepared for that you know anytime that we're out in our culture and we talk about our church and invite people to our church if they ask, you know, are you Southern Baptist church? And we say, yeah, know that they're going to come in with a stigma sometimes, especially, especially kids from bigger cities or people from bigger cities. They're going to come in with the stigma. It's like, okay, well, we all are Southern Baptist. So, so we got to be careful of that. And then at the same time, you might be inviting people to come into your church that have a lot of questions, you know, a lot of questions just because you invite them and they come doesn't mean that they've got it all figured out and they've got it all together or that they believe exactly what you believe. Right. So I think that those are some things that we have to be aware of, especially as uh, our church moving forward. We can't fix what's been done in the past. We can't, we can't jump back in time and and look at some of these people in SBC and say, no, 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 don't do things that way. That's going to be really bad in the future. Um, They were working with limited information they had then they were working in such a way as to try to make sure that certain things didn't come to light because they were trying, they were trying to save the organization as a whole. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it okay. You understand kind of what they were trying to accomplish, but at the end of the day, we're not Amazon. We're not Microsoft. We're not Tesla. We're not, we're not a big multi-billion dollar organization as Calvary Baptist church or as SBC trying to keep ourselves moving in that direction. We are a church. We are a church universal. It's our responsibility to um, meet people where they are and help them engage Jesus on a regular basis. And I think that that's really the bigger issue that people have with things that have been going on. The SBC dropped the ball in meeting people where they are with the kingdom of God. Uh, And in fact, people got met with committees and lawyers and not with, not with the good news of the gospel, um, and not with apologies, and not with, um, you, you know, not with repentance. Like they didn't get met with that. And I think that's what's hard, um, because it just continues to validate their pain. So we just have to do better jobs. I think when it comes down to it, as as individuals, we just have to do a better job of making sure that people feel like they. I feel like they're not going to be pushed out for thinking or believing something or if they've had a bad experience in church in the past, feeling like they can come in here and they're not pushed out, but they, they can be a part of something. And, you know, from even my own personal experience growing up, I've been a part of churches where it it's really hard. Like it's really hard to look back in that and, and go, man, that church did just a fantastic job. I felt like I was safe and secure. 
I mean, there, there are things that have still hurt my family from SBC churches that I, you know, <laughs> I, I proceed with caution a lot of times because I'm trying to protect myself. Um, but you know, my, I would say that my family didn't get that benefit. Um, they, they got pushed into spheres that, um, especially working in churches that, that they just, they just didn't get that. They didn't get that freedom. Uh, they got met with a lot of resistance, a lot of pain, and it's, it still hurts them to this day. So we have to be careful how we do things. We have to be careful how we love people. We're either loving people to Jesus or we're loving them out of the church, you know? And so, um, I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard because at the end of the day, it's like, we can't control what happens in other churches. Yeah. We can't control. I mean, like we have our voice at the national committee meeting or whatever, but, uh, which is in Anaheim this year. So I feel like that's going to be a really fun one to go to. There's probably going to be protest. Yeah. But cause um, it's like next month. <laughs> yeah. In Los Angeles. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The only way that could have been planned worse is if it was San Francisco or Seattle or <laughs> Portland. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we can't really control what the SBC as a whole does. We can only control what we as the staff do, and we can only encourage our people to do in love like Jesus would. And so at the end of the day, you are not responsible for other people, but you are responsible for yourself. And we hope that, um, we as ministers at Calvary are loving people well. We hope that we're welcoming to people who are questioning and we hope that you do too. Yeah. So, well, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up today. And uh, as always, I mean, we, we're not going to consider ourselves experts on all these things. We are, I think a lot of times we're, we're maybe expressing views out of, um, out of concern, out of even some frustration, I think. And we're processing this in real time. Like we just started reading about, yeah this report and some of the things that people are saying and so this is a very live response to all of this but we also wanted to talk about it because we know that at least some of the people listening will have also seen articles on facebook or whatever and it's like yeah we're we're aware of what's happening and we're trying to do our part and fixing any of the problems or fighting any of the problems but and and i would say this too if you're sitting there going hey i don't need to be reading that stuff it's just going to be a hate speech of them trying to make us look bad. You need to read that stuff. Um, you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to be aware so that when you are out in public, unless you're like a hermit and you close yourself off and you don't speak to people during the week. Yeah. You might get a free pass, but if you're going to be at Walmart trying to do ministry, or if you're going to be out and about at your job or anything, trying to do ministry, it's important to keep up with what's going on. It's important to keep up with what's happening because that question may come up, especially if you are, huge in evangelism, huge in, in sharing Jesus and talking about your church. Um, that question may come up. So just keep that in, a, in like a Rolodex in the back of your mind to be able to say, yeah, there were some things that had gone on and, and you can even tell them it's not right. Yeah. We think this is wrong and sinful. Yeah. Yeah. A lot and, of the things that happened. Yeah. So just be aware, like read up some articles. Yeah. You're going to say, well, this is, this is left leaning. This is all completely left sided. Um, I would say read some of that and then go read some right side of stuff and, and find a good middle ground in there. That's what we're trying to accomplish and do through all of this. So if you have questions or if you want to, uh, man, if you want to talk about this with us, we would love to do that. I mean, if, if a group of you want to get together and say, Hey, we want to have like a kind of a town hall with this, 
we want to know. Like, please don't, please don't keep these things quiet. Please don't keep these things secret or hidden. We want to know how we can serve you and, and best help. So anyways, that's what we have for this week. And I hope that it is uh, going to be received positively. Um, we are hopeful for the future of our church moving forward. We're hopeful that the SBC will come through some serious terms of reform through this. And so we, we have a lot of hope for the future. Um, but we also want to know what you guys think and, and what you guys could share in. So, uh, find us on Sunday, send us an email, call the office, whatever that looks like. We just want to, um, be a part of the conversation with y'all. So we, uh, hope that you're having a great day. Hopefully you have a, re- a blessed rest of the week and we will see you soon.